everyone, we're doing a Saturday afternoon live stream. And it's time to celebrate Albert Pujols, his 700 home runs. And you know what? I think we should celebrate all the great home run hitters that we've had over the last oh, few decades because it's fun to celebrate those who do wonderful feats on the field. And if you're worried about the scandals, do you know what? There were much bigger scandals in baseball, including one that involved Roger Maris. This is Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, that's where the game starts. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Check out my lower third if you're watching me on the live stream or if you're on the YouTubes, you can call me Sully. Uh, we're dropping this on the 24th day of September 2022. It's Saturday, but I decided to drop this one. That's right. This is a six-episode week. We're going to have a bunch of times over the next month or so where we're going to have extra shows on the weekend. You know why? There's a lot of baseball going on. we got the postseason going on. We've got home run records that are, you know, we're seeing some milestones, and sometimes I want to just jump right on. Don't want to wait till Monday. Don't want to wait till Monday because by then this might be old news, and I have some thoughts going on in my head. That's the beauty of doing these shows the way we are. We're going to do them live. Uh, I am an Emmy-nominated television producer. I've been a filmmaker, an actor, a comedian, a lot of things, and I've been doing baseball podcasting for the last decade or so, and we're coming up at the end of my fourth season of – being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it is your team every day. Follow us on Twitter, Locked On MLB Pods. Same handle for Instagram and Twitter. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Let's not under-celebrate what we saw last night. Let's not poo-poo this. Albert Pujols has joined the 700 Club. This is not a Pat Robertson show. The 700 Home Run Club includes, does not include Alex Rodriguez. He fell just short. Includes Babe Ruth, Henry Aaron, Barry Bonds, Albert Pujols. Four of the great offensive players of all time. And I have no compunction, including Barry Bonds, in that particular list. And I'll explain why. And, uh, hey, David Samuel Blaine, who's my friend here on the chat, right in there. I knew you'd be here, buddy. He says, what an ovation for Albert Pujols. I know, and we should all give him a standing O. I'm not even the biggest Albert Pujols fan in the world. But you have to acknowledge that this guy has put together an unbelievably great career, has been one of the all-time greats. Um, if you take a look, I mean, uh, someone had pointed out, I don't remember who it was, someone pointed out that if it was not for the COVID season, he probably would have passed Ruth. And if not for his injuries, it would have it may have passed Aaron and Bonds. But in the one in the one hand, that kind of shows you how great Henry Aaron was 
that he was had that incredible consistency through his career. Henry Aaron is is a source of never-ending fascination in my life. I love the fact that he had 755 home runs in his 22 season, which means he averaged 35 home runs a year, but never hit 50. So we never had that one season that completely uh, skyrocketed his home run total. And he also got 3,000 hits that were not home runs in his career, which I find pretty remarkable. The list of players who have hit 3,000 hits and 700 home runs are Henry Aaron, Albert Pujols. There's your list. That's it. That's it. You know, Pujols, his production dropped when he was in um, uh, in Anaheim. Uh, I made a video 11 years ago criticizing that contract, saying that it's going to come to regret it. In so many ways, the Cardinals got everything right with Pujols. They had him as a key part of winning two World Series titles, 2006 and 2011. He was also the MVP uh, when they went to the World Series in 2004. He was the MVP in the League Championship Series. Had wonderful postseason highlights, including that MVP finish against uh, Houston in that series. Uh, the Lidge home run in 2005, ironically, in a series where the Cardinals lost. And, of course, hit big home runs uh, against Justin Verlander in the World Series in 2005. Hit three home runs in one game in 2011 and was part of the rally that tied the game in that amazing game six in 2011. And instead of signing him to a big contract, he winds up signing the the massive deal with Anaheim of which the Cardinals got his hall of fame years. The angels paid for them with him having injuries and not being as productive. The Cardinals used that draft pick that they got for over Pujols to get Michael Waka, who pitched him into the 2013 World Series. And they got Pujols back so he could retire as a Cardinal, get his 700th home run as a Cardinal, and maybe, just maybe, win another championship with the Cardinals. They got everything they could possibly want. But I do not want to under-celebrate Albert Pujols. This is remarkable. We saw someone get 700 home runs, and we see how hard it is. It was 2001 was when he entered the league. To give you an idea of how long ago that was, the Mariners made the postseason that year. Yes, that's how long ago that was. Pujols has been part of baseball for all this time, and we have to – you got to appreciate it. And I also believe appreciating the players from the PED era. You know, what did Pujols use PEDs? I don't know, and at this point I don't even care. He had a huge peak at a time when we know a lot of people were using them. I don't care. I don't care if he used them this year because we had fun. This was fun, tuning into the games and seeing it. And I think we should celebrate those who did hit the home runs during the PED era because, you know what, they were great. And for a whole generation, they were the people who brought them to the ballpark. I can't tell you how many people I know in the Bay Area who became – Baseball fans, because they fell in love with Canseco and McGuire. I can't tell you how many people I know who grew up in the 90s who fell in love with baseball because of the McGuire-Sosa chase. I can't tell you how many people I know. Again, I lived in the Bay Area for a long time. I know a lot of Giant fans, Giant fans who are younger than me, who are huge fans because of Bonds. Do you know what? I'm, I'm all for celebrating. 
I'm for celebrating, and by whatever means you want to do it, I think it's great. And I think Pujols, who went into this year, it was it was an absolute long shot that he was going to get 700 home runs. Ryan Finkelstein of uh, uh, Locked On Mets wrote a thing. I was like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And some people are throwing that back in his face. And Ryan, because he's an up, you know, he's a stand-up guy, uh, said, "Yeah, uh, I was wrong about that." This is fun. This is why we follow it. It's why everybody follows. There's a great shot of there was like a pitching change going on during the Giants game last night, and they showed on the uh, on the the Megatron board. I believe they were playing Arizona, and they were, wherever they were playing was showing the Pujols' two home runs he hit last night in Dodger Stadium, and all the players on the mound, the Giants players, were watching, going, "Wow, look at that." We all got into it. This is why we do this. To have memories, to have great moments. So let's not under-celebrate when we have it. Remember where you were, what you were doing. I was listening to the game. I couldn't find it because it was on Apple TV. I don't have Apple TV. Yay! I live right down the 110 freeway from Dodger Stadium. I couldn't find the goddamn game on on my television. Sorry, Ray. So we got to celebrate these moments. We got to celebrate people like Pujols. And yeah, celebrate Bond, celebrate McGuire and Sosa from previous generations. Just like we celebrate Pettit and we celebrate uh, Ramirez and Ortiz. Because they gave us all great memories and made us happy. Have you noticed when you ask your friends you haven't seen for a while, how, how have you been? Almost every answer is, I've been a little stressed out. Do you know why? It's been a stressful bunch of years. So let's celebrate happy. Celebrate happiness. Celebrate greatness. Albert Pools is the only thing that keeps him from being the greatest uh, St. Louis Cardinal of all time in terms of offense is the fact that he wound up playing uh, uh, 10 years in Anaheim. And, you know, so Stan Musial remains the greatest offensive player in the history of the St. Louis Cardinals. But Pools has got to be number two. Number five has to be number two. So let's celebrate this. This is fun. And then let's all, you know, this is coming from, from me. Lifelong, uh, you know, native New Englander, grew up rooting for the Red Sox. I know the Red Sox are playing the Yankees right now. And, of course, the Red Sox are losing because they're not good this year. Uh, I actually don't know if Judge hit a home run today or not. I saw the scores is, uh, let's see, let's go over there. No home run yet for Judge. When he does and he ties Maris. Let's celebrate that, too. It's worth celebrating. Because there are bigger fish to fry out there to be worried about stuff. Let's celebrate things that make us happy. And also remember, for those of you who want to hem and haw about stats and what they mean about this or the other thing, remember they hung a gigantic asterisk next to Roger Maris at the time. They didn't want to celebrate it because he didn't do it in 154 games. Of course, Babe Ruth didn't do it in an integrated league. Babe Ruth didn't do it with cross-country flights to Los Angeles. You know, Babe Ruth didn't have to face the type of pitchers that Roger Maris faced. But hey, you know what? They put an asterisk next to it. Let's not do what they did with Maris and not celebrate. Let's celebrate greatness when it happens. By the way, those of you who bring up things like scandal and everything, there was a scandal, and it partially involved Roger Maris. It... Not that he did anything wrong, but he was part of something that we shouldn't celebrate 
And for some reason, it's been swept under the carpet of something that we get mad about in baseball history. Baseball history could have been a lot different if this scandal had not happened. And it's a surefire bet the teams that we would remember as the great teams would have changed if a few little things had been done differently and a few other people were on the money. And by the way, if you're going to make any bets and make them on the money, here's what I suggest. You go to Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for football betting in this season. Find all the latest player development, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game that you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check on your favorite games and events, including baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. It's where the game starts. You know, one of the reasons why people didn't want Roger Maris to break Babe Ruth's record back in 1961, and they would rather have Mickey Mantle have done it, was Mickey Mantle fit the model of the Yankee hero. He was a homegrown Yankee, like DiMaggio, like Gehrig, like Yogi Berra, not like Ruth. In case you didn't know it, Ruth was acquired from another team. I don't remember which one. But he was the Yankee hero that looked like was destined to pass Babe Ruth. Roger Maris was a bit of a mercenary. The Yankees were his third team. And while he won the MVP in 1960 and helped them win the pennant and was a fine player, he didn't have that aura of Yankee greatness. He was someone who they picked up. Now, what team did they pick him up from? Do you know? The A's. Now, there was something that happened in baseball history in the 1950s that for some reason never gets picked up as one of the great shake-your-head scandals in baseball history because it was complete collusion that was going on. It involved Roger Maris, not his fault, because back then players had no say on what team they played for. If you were signed a contract, you were bound to that team for life, and they could trade you or release you at your whim, but a player couldn't sign with any team they wanted unless they were cut. Roger Maris was a member of the Cleveland Indians. He was a nice player for the Cleveland Indians. But after one season, the Indians sent him packing in a trade to the Kansas City Athletics. The minute that happened, almost every single baseball team threw their hands up in the air and said, don't trade him to the Kansas City A's. Now, why would they say that? The A's, who should be a Philadelphia institution, like the Cleveland Indians are in Cleveland, like the Tigers are in Cleveland Guardians now, old habits die hard, like the Cardinals, like the Tigers, like the Pirates, like the Red Sox, you would associate the A's with Philadelphia. But they that's a whole other podcast about why they're not in Philadelphia. They wound up going to Kansas City. And Kansas City used to be the home of the Yankees' top farm team. And when the A's moved there, the Yankees said, okay, you'll still be our top farm team in in Kansas City. The owner of the A's, a guy named Arnold Johnson, 
had some strange connection with the Yankees where he owned the deed to Yankee Stadium or something. I, I read about it. I still don't understand it. He was tied to the Yankees financially, which is, I don't know, a conflict of interest to have two teams and one person having a financial stake with two different teams. And if you saw what happened from the moment the A's moved to Kansas City in the mid-1950s until Charlie Finley, crazy man that he was, bought the team in the early 1960s, the Yankees treated the A's like a farm team. It was surreal how they did it. If the Yankees had a player who was old and breaking down, they would not release him, not send him to the minor leagues. They would simply trade them to the A's. And the A's would send back any player who was young and fit. So if like Hank Bauer, for example, was breaking down after many, many wonderful years with the Yankees, and Don Larson, who threw the no-hitter in this 1956 World Series, but was starting to slow down. You know, Those are two old guys who are starting to get slowed down. So let's trade them to the A's, and the A's will trade back young players who could then help the Yankees. You know, if Billy Martin became a bit of a troublemaker, they would trade him to the A's and get back something in return that would help the team. And you saw some players... Go back and forth. Ralph Terry was a young pitcher. The Yankees brought him up. He wasn't quite ready yet for the majors, but instead of sending him to the minors, they traded him to the A's. And then when he was good and ready, they traded him back, and they got a World Series MVP out of it. Bob Serve, same thing, back and forth. Everyone saw what was happening, and nothing was done about it. The Yankees treated the A's like a farm team. And what happened to the Yankees during that major stretch? They went to the World Series in 55, 56, 57, 58, 60, 61, 62, and 63, and 64, many times using those players that they were able to just trade back and forth between the A's. Ralph Terry won a World Series MVP. Roger Maris had those great years with, uh, you know, hitting all those home runs. They got bullpen depth. Oh, we need bullpen depth. So let's trade a player who isn't working to the A's and just automatically get him back. Imagine if a team was doing that now. Yeah, there are times when a team can make a salary dump, but it was never back and forth the same team treating a team like a minor league squad. The A's were terrible. And yet, whenever there was a usable player, they shipped them to the Yankees. And whenever the Yankees didn't need them, they'd ship them right back. And one of the great runs they ever had in their history from the mid-50s through the mid-60s, where they only missed the World Series once, they had the A's basically treating their team as a quadruple-A ball club. No one ever points to those when Yankee fans rattle off all the championships. And believe me, you can't have a conversation with someone saying like, hey, it looks like the weather's looking pretty good today. 27 rings. Okay, we know, we know. But a bunch of those were done through collusion. The depth was done through collusion. And Charlie Finley, 
as crazy as that man was, bought the A's after Arnold Johnson died. That's the only thing that stopped this. Death. Death stopped this. And what happened? The train from Kansas City to New York stopped. What happened in the mid-1960s? The great Yankee dynasty ended. And they went from, they can't miss the World Series, to, huh, we're having trouble developing new players. And what happened with the A's? They started developing Catfish Hunter, Reggie Jackson, Raleigh Fingers, Burt Campaneris. The foundation of the team that when they finally went to Oakland, went on to win three straight World Series titles. The first time a franchise had done that since the Yankees. What could have been different in baseball history? What if the A's were able to keep some of these fine players that they developed instead of shipping them off to the Yankees whenever they needed to be? What would happen if the Yankees had to develop players like anyone else without a quadruple A team doing their bidding? You saw a lot of teams that were traditionally terrible in the American League finally get some glory in the 1960s. The horrible Washington Senators, who were so bad they made a musical about them called Damn Yankees, saying they needed to deal with the devil to get to the World Series, wound up moving to Minnesota, where they became the Twins and finally made it back to the World Series. The St. Louis Browns, the worst franchise in, the, in American League history, who needed World War II and 4F players to get to the World Series, became the Baltimore Orioles, and they wound up winning the World Series and creating a dynasty. Even the Red Sox, who were awful every year since 1949, got back to the World Series. Could the A's have developed a terrific team if they didn't, if they weren't beholden to the Yankees? That's baseball history being different. Because how, how else would have would have happened if suddenly Kansas City had a terrific team like that and put together a pennant winner? Maybe you'd still have the Kansas City A's. They wouldn't have moved to Oakland. Maybe we never would have had a team in Oakland. Maybe they would have had an expansion somewhere else. The way the way the dominoes fell. That's collusion. That's a scandal. And I think scandals like that are worse than performance-enhancing drugs because at least if you're doing PEDs, you're trying to win. The A's weren't trying to win. They were shuttling players to the Yankees because the owner was beholden to the Yankees for financial reasons. That's collusion. An entire dynasty was built upon that. But it was even worse a decade or so later. When people talk about PEDs as being this great scandal in baseball history, I'm sorry. The biggest scandal, okay, the biggest scandal in baseball history, in my opinion, which creates the greatest what if in baseball history, is, of course, segregation. That we had, you know, for years and years, some of the best players in baseball history never got a chance to play in the major leagues. That, to me, is the greatest what-if in baseball history and the biggest scandal in baseball history. After that, it has to be collusion. And it happened in plain sight, much like the collusion between the Yankees and the Kansas City A's. It happened in the 1980s. For those of you who don't know this, free agency came around 
in the 1970s. Players had to fight for it. It took big, big court battles, but they ultimately got their ability to say, hey, I'd like to play for this team. Hey, I'd like to sign a contract for what I'm worth. You know, things that you can do and I can do, but they couldn't do. They finally got that to happen, and people were lamenting, oh, my God, it's going to be the same big market teams winning every year, and teams are going to fold, and revenues are going to collapse, and the game is dead. What happened? We went on an entire generation where you never had back-to-back World Series winners. Heck, you barely had back-to-back pennant winners. You seldom had back-to-back division winners. You saw parity. You saw teams that never would have dreamed of getting to the postseason, getting to the postseason, winning postseason series. You saw teams that hadn't been in the playoffs for decades or sometimes ever making it there. You had an entire decade without a single World Series won by the Yankees. And you saw revenue skyrocketing. So naturally, owners tried to destroy it. And the way they tried to destroy it was by Peter Uberoff and every other commissioner around there, collusion. It was the brainchild of Peter Uberoff, but all the owners went for it. One of the reasons why I hate Bud Selig, and believe me, I do, I think his plaque should be removed from the Hall of Fame, is he was a colluding owner. George Steinbrenner was a colluding owner. Mrs. Yawkey, colluding owner. Every Gene Autry, every owner from that time were colluding. If players were available via free agency at that time, they made an agreement, don't sign them. We're going to drive the prices down. That's collusion. Think about what that means. If your team was in the mid-80s and on the cusp of a championship, team like I don't know, the Angels, who are a star-studded team, there was always a couple players short. The Expos, uh, who were a little bit short. The Mets could have won many more titles at that time. Both Chicago teams. You know, the Blue Jays were always kind of teetering on the verge, falling just short. Imagine if you were a team like that, and you knew that one or two players could have been the difference between being pretty good and a legit pennant contender, maybe having that moment that creates that championship that people still can't talk, can't stop talking about. Tiger fans still can't stop talking about 84. Mets fans still can't stop talking about uh, 86. That was a wonderful period of time for some of these teams that finally got over the hump. If you were one of those franchises that were on the verge of getting over the hump and you could have signed a big-time player and you didn't because you were trying to drive down the prices, that's making a decision to make your team worse. Not injecting, I have A-Rod's cousin injecting God knows what into your ass and suddenly you hit five more home runs than you normally would have. That guy's trying to win. These teams had a chance. Not just, you know, think about some of the players who were available. Tim Raines, one of the best offensive players of his era, a Hall of Famer in his prime, was available. Nobody wanted him. Jack Morris, Sully, I took a look at his extended stats, da-da-da-da-da. Fine, if you don't want him in the Hall of Fame, but you want a 200-some-odd innings eater on your team with World Series experience, plug him into your rotation? I think you do. 
The only reason Andre Dawson, another Hall of Famer, got signed is because he showed up to camp with a blank check and said, I want to play here. Sign me. They're like, oh, Christ. And so they, they did. It worked because the collusion drove down Andre Dawson's price. It ended the career of Al Oliver, who may have gone to the Hall of Fame if he played for a couple more years and made it to 3,000 hits. He was almost there. It ended the career of Rod Carew, a Hall of Famer who did make it to 3,000 hits, was still a, a capable player, but nobody would sign him. That's a scandal. That's years and years, at least three seasons, at the very least three years, where teams made the decision to not be better. And what happened? They were found guilty of collusion. And what happened? They had to pay players more and more to prove they weren't colluding. And then what happened? They kicked the commissioner of baseball out. Bud Selig, an owner who was a colluder, installed himself as the uh, commissioner. The player said, we don't trust you. You're a bunch of colluders. You're one of the colluders. We don't believe anything you say. Caused the strike. Ended the 94 season. We don't have the Expos anymore. Attendance was dwindling. And we needed to do something about it. In comes PEDs. It's all connected. It's all connected. So PEDs were fun. PEDs gave us some great memories. And so I'd rather have everybody with a syringe the size of a wiffle ball bat boosting themselves up than having what we had in the 80s of owners making the decision to not be better. Something to think about if you complain about scandals or putting asterisks next to numbers. And I got to say, let's celebrate the actions on the field. I guarantee you they're trying to win. Just like I'm trying to win, doing this as many days as we can. Hey, uh, follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Celebrating Albert Pools and breaking down some of the real scandals in baseball history. This has been a special Saturday edition of Locked On MLB on the 24th day of September 2022. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.